podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast, Monday, December 13th, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield are a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network, which allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot, five-star ratings across the board, and... With the code EPL599, you can get your first month for just one quid. One quid for the first month, $6.99 thereafter, but there is no contract. Instant download from the from the Liberty Shield website onto any device or multiple devices. Get using, get streaming, get going with LibertyShield.com. We're also brought to you by... Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can use the code EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off. Now, Etsy is currently having some technical difficulties. The codes aren't always working. Just bear with it. Go back to it maybe an hour or two later, and it will be working then. But EPL10 on the the EPL Index Shop on Etsy, Red10 on the Anfield Index Shop, also available on Etsy. Just download that Etsy app to your phone and get cracking on that. Right, folks, nine games in the Premier League this weekend because obviously Tottenham versus Brighton was called off due to Tottenham having a COVID outbreak and in some bad news. It looks like Norwich have COVID problems. Aston Villa have COVID problems. And we may be about to see a little bit of chaos in the schedule in the coming weeks. But we did have the nine games. So let's run through those. Friday night, Brentford 2, Watford 1. Watford went one up. Emmanuel Dennis on 24 minutes. A towering header. Towering header, which is bizarre. Because Emmanuel Dennis is about five foot eight. Maybe 5-9. And Brentford have lots of big fellas. Still no Ivan Tony in the team, but lots and lots of big, tall men. And yet somehow Emmanuel Dennis rose higher than them all to thunder home an excellent header. He is having a tremendous season. He is, without question, one of the bargains of the summer transfer window. I still think... Damari Gray is the best bargain signing because of, you know, 1.7 million is ridiculous. But Watford only play, only paid like 4 million for Manuel Dennis. And thus far this season, he has seven goals and five assists in 15 Premier League appearances in just under 1,200 minutes. That is a hell of a return. He's having an excellent season. He is proving himself 
to be a very good Premier League footballer, whether or not Watford stay in the Premier League, Emmanuel Dennis is staying in the Premier League. He is too good to go down to the Championship. He is going to likely hit double figures, goals and assists. And if he does that, there's no chance he doesn't get a move in the summer. Now, the risk will be someone will overpay and maybe he regresses. But at the same time, you can't you can't fault anybody for taking a gamble on him with the way he's playing. Only 24 years of age, so well-rounded. Plays through the middle, plays wide, good with both feet, good in the air, inventive and creative, good dribbler, really direct. I, I absolutely love Emmanuel Dennis. He's one of my surprise players of the season. And uh, this was a really good goal to put Watford one up. And you thought Watford were going to hold out and this was going to be a big victory for them. But Pontus Janssen with a close-range header on 84 to equalise. Well-worked goal by Brentford. And then, well, Truce Kong enters the fray, does a very, very stupid thing, gives away a penalty in the 96th minute, and Brian Mbomo steps up and slots at home with minimal fuss. Excellent penalty. But heartbreaking for Watford, really disappointing for a team that had worked so hard and held out so long. Had an interesting chat with a Watford fan over the weekend. And we're just talking about how little control they have in midfield when Lusa doesn't play at the minute. Cleverly is just not good enough to play in the Premier League anymore. That is just a fact. Some Watford fans not, might not like it because he's their captain. But he's not a Premier League caliber player anymore. Kuka, who started the season pretty well, he has fallen off a cliff. He's 34. He's not really a holding midfielder. He's being asked to play as a holding midfielder. The pace of the game is too much for him. And they're really missing Will Hughes. And the Watford fan I spoke to said that their fans were up in arms about Will Hughes being allowed to leave, especially on the cheap, the way he was. Now, he only had a year left in his contract. But the reason he had a year left is because Watford were trying to strong-arm uh, Will Hughes and his agent on the contract extension. But the Watford fan I spoke to again, he was in full agreement with me that this is the worst centre-back situation in the league. Truce de Kong is not very good. And Cathcart was a good championship-level de defender a couple of years ago. Now, not so much, and certainly not a Premier League-caliber defender. Um, very, very disappointing for Watford to lose the game in this manner. They had a couple of decent chances earlier in the game as well. Josh King uh, almost put them two up. but. It wasn't to be. Brentford, to their credit, fought back, played very well, even with the injury problems they had. I mean, Yanold had to play as a centre-back. Um, Jensen came into midfield, and I thought he did well, considering he's missed most of the season. Uh, no Sergi Canos on the right wing for them either. So a good, good win. Puts them back up into the top half. They have steadied the ship after the bad run. That's two wins, two draws from the last five. 20 points in 10th position. And they get Ivan Tony back, hopefully for the midweek game. They will be very, very happy with how things are going. For Watford, it's four defeats on the bounce. It's seven defeats in the last nine games. They're only two points clear of the relegation zone. They currently sit in 17th. And Burnley do have a game in hand. So... 
not looking particularly promising for Watford, it must be said. Uh, moving in then to the Saturday games and controversy reigned at the Etihad. Manchester City won Wolves nil. Raheem Sterling penalty on 66. But that doesn't tell the tale. City did dominate the game. City were by far the better team. But Wolves did what they did against Liverpool. They sat back. They defended really, really well. And they had some half-decent counter-attacking chances. Now, the only one that came to anything was a good little move between Aitnuri and Pedence down the left, across from Pedence, and Max Kilman drew a half-decent save out of Ederson. That was about it for them from an attacking point of view. But again, defensively, they were very good. Aitnuri, again, the standout player like he was against Liverpool. City had 24 shots, 10 on target, over 70% of the ball. Jack Grealish missed a couple of sitters. He didn't play well again. He doesn't suit how they play. It just needs to be said time and again. And I've seen the difference this weekend between people who use data to accentuate their knowledge of football and people who rely on data to tell them about football. I won't name names, but somebody who's very highly regarded among the analytics community uh, who does XG, who has a podcast, he came out and said Grealish has been incredible for City this season. He came out and said that because Grealish was averaging five shots either taken by himself or assisted by Grealish for someone else, that meant Grealish was having a great season. Grealish has been incredible for City and also in a hilarious finishing slump, so no one is talking about it. Someone said, I won't say who, someone said, I mean, they are. They're talking about how he's struggling to settle in at City. He replies, lol, yeah. This is a man in his 40s saying lol. Uh, just the five shot attempts, five shots attempted and assisted per 90. Meaningless, absolutely meaningless numbers. Absolutely meaningless. If I pass the ball to somebody 35 yards out and they put it in the stand, I've assisted a shot. It doesn't mean I've done anything good. Leading the league by a big margin in both passes into the penalty area and carries into the penalty area. But until ball go goal, he hasn't settled. This is nonsense. This is, not, this is somebody who does not watch Manchester City play. Carries into the box. Yes, they're a good indicator. But if I'm carrying the ball into the far reaches of the box with no opportunity to score a goal, or if I'm playing people in on the byline where they're marked by two defenders, I haven't given them a good pass. I've put them under pressure and given them no outlet. So these are meaningless. Without context, these are meaningless. Jack Grealish is not playing well this season. And this is not working for City. They struggle with him in the team. They're better without him. Results and performances prove it. The issue is Grealish is a good player. City didn't pay for a good player. They paid for a great player. If Grealish was just a 40 or 50 million pound player, which is what he was actually worth, Pep could just leave him out of the team. But because he cost 100 million and Pep made a big song and dance about getting him, he has to put him in the team. And it's having a negative effect on how Manchester City play. He can't play in midfield. And they've got much better options. Bernardo Silva, 
Kevin De Bruyne, Ilkay Gundogan, Phil Foden is better in there. Obviously, Rodri and Fernandinho is the holding position. So there's the two number eight positions. They've got four better options. He can't play as a false nine. He's awful there. They've also got better options there. Ferran Torres is better there. Gabriel Jesus is better there. Raheem Sterling is better there. He can't play right wing because he's not quick enough. And besides, they do have Raheem Sterling and Riyad Mahrez, both of whom are better than him. And they have Ferran Torres, who's better on that right-sided role as well. The only position he can play is the left-sided role. But both Sterling and Phil Foden are substantially better than him in that role. There is no place in the Manchester City team for Jack Grealish. There is no best Manchester City eleven that includes Jack Grealish. The best Manchester City eleven is going to be something along the lines of Walker, Diaz, Laporte, Canseo, KDB, Rodri, Gundogan, Bernardo on the right, Ferran Torres or Phil Foden as the false nine, or Raheem Sterling, and then Foden or Sterling on the left. There's just no place for Jack Grealish in that team. There's nobody you can look at and say, well, he's better than him in that position. He's a better player than Ferran Torres is right now, but not as a false nine. He's not a better player than Sterling. He's not better than than Foden. He's certainly not as good as, as Kundigan, De Bruyne or Bernardo Silva, who are three of the seven or eight best players in the league. The place for Jack Grealish is on the bench and carries into the box, passes into the box. Really? That's what you're going to hang your hat on? That's what you're going to hang your hat on? Let's have a look at his non-shot XA. His non-shot expected assists. Let's have a look at his non-shot XG. Let's have a look at his XG and his XA. Let's have a look at those figures that you like to trumpet yourself. So, look, Grealish, not worth talking about anymore. Another bad performance, and so it carries on. City win the game through Raheem Sterling's penalty. But before that, Raul Jimenez had been sent off. In the first half. Jimenez commits a foul on halfway. It's a tackle on Rodri. He doesn't get the ball. It's not a yellow card. It just isn't. There's not enough in it for it to be a yellow card. But he gets a yellow card. He deserves the second yellow card. Because from the resulting free kick. He doesn't back up. He stands too close to the ball. It's played off him. It hits him. And he gets a second yellow card. He deserved the second one. He did not deserve the first one. John Moss is an appalling referee. We know that. We've seen him referee for years. That's a bad decision. Like, common sense has to prevail. You shouldn't have booked him for the first challenge. But because you have, you can't book him for the second. You have to go and have a chat with him and say, look, cop your stuff on. But such is life, such is the world of John Moss. The penalty is a farce as well. It's a Bernardo Silva cross that very clearly hits Jean Matinho on the side, under the arm. Not underneath his arm, not on the underside of his arm, under the arm, on his side. It does not hit his arm at all. Bounces off and goes for a corner. 
Bernardo half-heartedly appeals. John Moss gives a penalty. Goes and reviews it and still gives a penalty. Despite it being clear as day, it did not hit his arm. Wolves have been robbed of a point here. Robbed. City deserved the win, don't get me wrong. But Wolves have been robbed. Moving on to alleged robbery, but I don't think this one was robbery. Chelsea 3, Leeds 2. Rafinha put Leeds 1 up on 28 minutes from the penalty spot. Dan James hacked down by Marcus Alonso. James wasn't in full control of the ball. He has knocked it a bit too far ahead of himself. But it's a stupid challenge by Marcus Alonso. It is a penalty. Rafinha steps up and bamboozles Edouard Mendy. Brilliant penalty by a brilliant player. Mason Mount equalised on 42 minutes. Good move by Chelsea down the left. Alonso makes up for his gaff on the penalty. Wins the ball back in a challenge with Stuart Dallas. Plays it in field. Continues his run. Picks the ball up again. Great low cross. And a tidy finish from Mason Mount from about eight yards out. A good Chelsea goal. In the second half, Chelsea go 2-1 two, two up. Jorginho scores after Antonio Rudiger is kind of fouled. Now, it is a foul. It's a, it's a clumsy challenge. It's kind of two-footed. He gets some of the ball. He gets a lot of the man. Rafinha, this is. And he does take down Rudiger. It's a harsh penalty, but I do think it is a penalty. I do think it is a penalty. Rafinha gets the ball first, but doesn't knock the ball away from Rudiger, and then sort of clears out Rudiger, who had managed to half keep control of the ball, bobble the ball forward. I do think it's a penalty. I'd be furious if it wasn't given against my team. So I don't really have a big issue with this one. Jorginho steps up. It's a brilliant penalty past Melia. He has no chance. Uh, Joe Gelhart comes on off the bench and with one of his first touches, maybe his first touch of the game, equalises for Leeds on 83 minutes. It's a really good flowing move. Great ball across by Tyler Roberts and a tremendous finish. Uh, really good late run into the box and a first time finish by, by Gelhart. Massive moment for the kid. He's a huge, huge prospect. Leeds did brilliantly to get him. He was um, at Wigan and was seen as a big part of their future with a lot of the young players they had. He'd been at Wigan for seven years. And when they went into massive financial difficulty, Leeds stepped up and bought him for half a million or something ridiculously low. He'd already played 19 senior games. Sorry, I tell a lie. 21 senior games for Wigan. So he was part of their long-term plans. Very, very talented. This is his first Premier League goal. And uh, and like I say, a great moment for him. Unfortunately, Chelsea would spoil the party. Again, Rudiger involved. Again, I, I can kind of see why Leeds fans are upset by it. But again, I do think it is a penalty. Leeds defender goes through the back of him. Goes through the back of him. Takes his foot. I, I think it's a penalty. I really do. It's harsh because Leeds have played really well. 
they fought back from a 2-1 deficit and gotten themselves into position for a draw. But I do think it's a penalty. I don't think Leeds have been robbed. I think they're unfortunate, but I don't think they've been robbed. Jorginho steps up and scores the winner. Handbags at the final whistle. Lots of pushing. Antonio Rudiger acting like a jackass. He'd acted like a jackass celebrating the second penalty as, as well. The guy just is a jackass. He's the most overrated defender in the league right now. And, I mean, his defence, defending in this game was appalling at best. But um, I'm sure when I look at Gareth Crook's team of the week in a few minutes, he will be in it because that will be Gareth Crook's for you. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think Chelsea got a little bit lucky, but ultimately they were penalties uh, and Chelsea get the, the win. Chelsea stay third in the league, one point behind Liverpool, two behind Manchester City. For Leeds, they are 16th in the table. One win from the last five. Only three wins all season. Not great. Not promising. Not where they wanted to be or where they planned to be for this season. And in a further blow to them, Calvin Phillips has had surgery on his hamstring injury. So that's not good. That means he is out for two, three months. Uh, David Ornstein reporting he's Calvin Phillips has undergone surgery to repair the hamstring injury he suffered against Brentford this month. Phillips was taken off after 55 minutes of the 2-2 draw on December 5th and had what was what is believed to have been a successful operation. 26-year-old England international has become an integral player for club and country, is expected to be out for at least two months. That's a massive blow. Like... There's some good players in that Leeds team. There's there's no doubt. They have some good players. I like Melier. I think he's a very promising young keeper. I think Diego Loriente is a very good centre-back. I think Junior Firpo is a good left-back with plenty of talent who can be developed. I like Jack Harrison. I love Rafinha. Dan James, his pace is a really interesting uh, weapon it could do with you know some honing of his abilities, but he is a, a very very dangerous player on a counter attack. Matthias Glish, I like. They've got a bunch of youngsters that are very good. Um, I mentioned Gelhart. Somerville is good. Drama is good, but there's just for me. I look at the team that started at the weekend, and there's too many championship players in that team. Stuart Dallas. Adam Forshaw, Luke Ayling. I mean, these aren't Premier League caliber players. Liam Cooper's not a Premier League caliber player. They've got a, a handful of very good players, a handful of championship players, and they can't afford to lose any of their very good players. And unfortunately, Calvin Phillips is one of them. Now, other than Rafinha, he's the best player in the team. And he's one of only a couple because as much as I like Dan James and Jack Harrison, I don't think they could play for many of the Premier League teams. That's harsh. They could play for a number of Premier League teams, but not, say, two-thirds of the league. Whereas I think Rafinha and Calvin Phillips could play for anybody. I think they're that level of player. Loriente, I think, can, can get into most Premier League teams. Firpo would be an improvement for a lot of Premier League teams. 
Harrison, to be fair, harsh to lump Harrison in with, with James. Harrison could get into a number of Premier League teams. But after that, not, not really many at all. Not really many at all, and they can't afford to be losing such a key player at such a busy time of the year as well. I have concerns over Leeds now. I really do. 15th in the league, only five points clear of Burnley in 18th, in bad form. And, you know, they've got Manchester City next. They've got Arsenal after that. Then they get Liverpool. Then they get Aston Villa. That's a tough four-game run. That really is a tough four-game run. And then you go Burnley, West Ham, Newcastle, Villa again, and Everton. Before we're likely to see Calvin Phillips back. And if he's not back by then, they have Man United, Tottenham, and Leicester in the two weeks after that. That is a really tough break for them. The... They can only hope and pray they have him back for the last 10 games. That's about all they've got left is just to hope and pray that they have him back for the last 10 games. And they'll have it. Obviously, look, there's, they're a better team than Norwich. They're a better team than Newcastle. They're a better team than Watford. But it does only take one of those teams to go on a good run. And things will get very, very difficult all of a sudden. Uh, moving on, Liverpool won, Aston Villa nil. Another game decided by a penalty. This one not at all controversial. Liverpool dominated the game, spanked Aston Villa, were denied two, maybe three penalties in the first half by a very, pa- very bad referee, missed a bunch of good chances, blew a couple of really good counter-attacking opportunities, never really had any concerns about Villa. Villa played a back seven, a midfield two and left Ollie Watkins up front to to plough a lonely furrow. Um, Villa time-wasted from early in the first half. It was a very, very Stoke City performance. This was Tony Pulis at his best. And Gerrard's press conference was Roy Hodgson at his best. Whinging and moaning about a penalty decision that was blatantly obvious. Tyron Mings fouled Salah about three times. Before the penalty was given, Salah stepped up and scored. Then he whinged about a decision that wasn't given in their favour. Danny Ings fouls Joel Matip. And then Allison slaps the ball off Danny Ings' foot. And somehow Gerard wants a penalty in, in this circumstance of events. Nonsense. Uh, Gerard does himself no favours. With the way he set his team up, with the approach they took to the game how cowardly they were, the time-wasting, the persistent fouling. Atwell had a nightmare as as referee. Lee Mason as VAR was appalling. And uh, and then Gerrard's crying after the game was just... uh, Not what you would expect from Steven Gerrard. Uh, We're going to move on. If you want to hear more of of me on that game, Daily Red podcast on Anfield Index, um, out every day around lunchtime. It's out already today, so go check that one out. Um, Arsenal 3, Southampton 0. Arsenal were, were very good. Saints had a couple of good moments in the game and did pull one or two decent saves out of Aaron Ramsdale. But Arsenal could easily have scored five. Um, could easily have scored five. Alex Lacazette put them one up on 21. 
a brilliant flowing counter-attacking move, building from the back. Got a little bit lucky. Ramsdale took a heavy touch that almost cost him, but he managed to find the ball to Ben, uh, ben White. And from there, it was just really well played. Really well built down the right wing. Ball comes to Saka. He drives the fullback, gets beyond him, cuts back for Lacazette, who arrives in the box to finish brilliantly. No Aubameyang in that game. Uh, left out of the squad because of a disciplinary issue. David Ornstein again has reported that it was a case where he went back to France to get his mother to bring her to the UK and was late returning back and then went and got a tattoo. So, um, yeah, I, it is what it is. Um, he was left out. It's not the first time that this has happened with him. And you have to question how the Arsenal captain is behaving like this. Uh, 2-0 on 27 minutes. Martin Odegaard, another decent move, but then it got very messy. Kieran Tierney tried to cross the ball first time, missed his kick, somehow managed to keep control of it. Crossed it a second time, bad cross, sent back in his direction, looped a header back into the box. And Martin Odegaard, who's about 5'8", five, 5'9", five, completely unmarked, heading into the, ba the back of the net. Uh, not good defending from Southampton. Gabriel had a goal disallowed, but then two minutes later, he himself scored a powerful header from a corner. And from there, Martinelli hits the post. Saka hits the post. You had to feel, you had to feel bad for Southampton. They did get a bit of a shellacking here. Um, even though, like I say, they they did hold their own. They had some moments. Once Arsenal got rolling, it was it was game over. And Southampton had nothing to offer. And unfortunately, Ralph Hasenhutl's dogmatic approach of refusing to change anything about his setup cost them. Final game of Saturday, Norwich nil, Manchester United won. And again, penalty controversy. And again, I think Norwich were robbed in this game. Now, United had a couple of decent chances. And did drag a couple of good saves out of Tim Krul. But David De Gea was man of the match. Made three massive saves. And United win the game for penalty when Cristiano Ronaldo dived. So, you know, it's a little bit of a tough one for Norwich to take. Norwich played really well. They matched United in every phase of the game. And they deserved at least a point from the game. But Cristiano fell over. Max Ahrens, yeah, he had his hand on his shoulder. He wasn't pulling him. He wasn't dragging him. Cristiano just backed up and fell over. He dived and he won a penalty for it. So it is what it is. No one will be too upset uh, in Manchester. Cristiano gets his winning goal, got to do his celebration. And a bunch of grown men got to behave like they were 12. So, you know, they're all happy. But for Norwich, it is a tough break. And Norwich, of course stay rooted to the bottom of the Premier League, which is unfortunate and undeserved. It's undeserved based on that performance. United move up into fifth. They now have three wins on the spin. They'll be thrilled, um, but the performances really have not been impressive. Really have not been impressive at all. Uh, lots and lots of work for Ralph Ranić still to do with this group. Uh, on to Sunday's games then. First up, Burnley nil, 
West Ham nil. Um, how to describe this game without slagging off both teams? An assault on the senses. Now, look, West Ham had some moments in this game, and Nick Pope made a couple of very good saves. And all things considered, West Ham probably deserved a win from this game. But Burnley clung on and hung on and defended and fought and bit for everything and get their point. It's as simple as that. They got their point. Uh, not a fun game to watch. Declan Rice had a particularly good game, though. I thought he was was very, very good driving forward from midfield and creating a lot of, a lot of trouble for Burnley. Uh, West Ham stay fourth in the league. Burnley still 18th, but only two points behind Watford now. And uh, they play them next. They have them at home on Wednesday night. So massive, massive game at the bottom of the table. Huge opportunity for Burnley to get themselves out of that bottom three and send Watford into it. Should be, won't, won't be a good game, but should be an interesting game. Uh, Leicester 4, Newcastle 0. Uh, I don't know how to describe this game. Uh, Newcastle had more shots in the game, but never really threatened to score other than one early opportunity for Almiron. And a, 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 a back pass from Timothy Castanier that Casper Schmeichel had to race back and clear off his own line. Um, Leicester just tore them to pieces. Newcastle's defence was embarrassing in this game. Now, admittedly, the first goal comes from a penalty that is the result of a dive. But Newcastle, attempting to play out from the back, give the ball away in their own penalty area, and Madison just kind of draws Lachelle's in and then goes over. It's not a penalty. It's not a foul. But it's given and upsteps Yuri Thielemans, who scored. It wasn't a penalty, but Newcastle were masters of their own demise there. What are you playing out from the back for? You're Newcastle. Eddie Howe should have gotten a slap for having his team play out from the back. Have you had a look at the centre-backs available to you? Fabian Schaar and Jamal Lachelle are not ball-playing centre-backs. You don't try and play out from the back with those two. I have no idea what he was thinking, setting his team up to do that. That was nonsense, absolute nonsense from Eddie Howe. The way he set his team up to begin with, I mean, you go to Leicester with Almiron, Shelby, Willock and Sim Maximum as a midfield, plus two strikers. You're going to get walloped when you've got that defence and none of your players are in particularly good form. In the second half, I mean, Leicester just tore them asunder. Uh, Daka made it 2 on 57. Beautiful flick from Madison round the corner, found Barnes, drew the keeper, slipped it to one side, and Daka taps home. Tielemans makes it 2 on 81. Again, James Madison involved, sets the sets up the goal for, for Tielemans. It's a great finish. Madison was outstanding in the game. Dive or not, he was tremendous. And Madison himself made it four on 85. And, and frankly, it felt like Leicester were coasting at that point. Like they could have ran the score up to six or seven. So a good result for Brendan Rodgers and his team. Another shambolic display by Newcastle. 
How came out afterwards and said the scoreline didn't reflect the game? It absolutely did. There's you're talking rubbish. That was as bad as anything we saw under Bruce. That was atrocious, absolutely atrocious. And uh, Newcastle, 34 goals conceded in 16 games. That's a hell of a record. A hell of a record. Uh, final game of the weekend. Crystal Palace 3, Everton 1. Uh, Connor Gallagher on 41. Good work by AU, but a very sloppy, lazy pass by Damari Gray. Let's AU get in. He crosses for Gallagher, who finishes sweetly into the bottom corner. Uh, James Tompkins made a 2 on 62, arriving at the back post from a set piece to tap home. Great for him to get the goal. He's he's not been good this season when he's been called upon, but he looks like a guy who's not played very much football. Uh, Palace, of course, came into this game in, in really poor form, having lost their previous three and winless in four or five. But this was a, a you know a nice statement win for them. And um, even though Solomon Rondon scuffed home a goal on 70 to give Everton a bit of life, Gallagher scores an absolute worldy on 93 to give the, the cherry on the cake for, for Palace. Now, on that goal, I watched a few times and I th- I couldn't understand why. So what happens is Seamus Coleman is fouled on his own end line. And takes a quick free kick. Jeffrey Schlupp is stood right in front of him. Coleman takes a quick free kick. I think Andre Gomes gets possession of it, loses it, and Gallagher picks up and bangs it in the top corner. I couldn't understand a couple of things. Number one, the ball was still moving when Seamus Coleman took the free kick. And number two, Schlupp does not retreat the 10 yards. In fact, he's not even a foot from the ball when Coleman takes it. I do think Coleman is trying to hit Schlupp with the free kick. I think that's his intention here. And if he does, obviously, Schlupp would have been booked. Because he doesn't hit hit him, it's at the referee's discretion then as to whether or not the free kick should be retaken or play should carry on. My assumption on this is if the ball goes to a Palace player initially, it's probably retaken. But because it goes to an Everton player who then loses possession, that's probably why he allows play to continue. But doesn't really change the fact the ball was still moving. Now, you'd hate to deny Conor Gallagher that goal. It is a magnificent strike into the top corner past Pickford and his tiny arms. But it probably shouldn't have counted. It probably shouldn't have counted. But Palace, absolutely good value for their win. Things are going to get ugly for for Everton real quick. Uh, Fat Spanish waiter was trending on Twitter after the game. There were mass calls for the reappointment of Big Sam Allardyce. Why, I have no idea, but, you know, that is what it is. Everton are currently in 14th. They're seven points clear of the relegation, even though Burnley do have a game in hand on them. Five points clear of Watford in 17th. They're not really an immediate risk of relegation. They are due to get Calvert-Lewin back soon enough. Um, but they have a tough run coming up. They've got Chelsea and Leicester in the next two. But then Burnley, Newcastle and Brighton at home, then Norwich away, Villa at home, and then Newcastle again, and then Leeds. So they do have a favourable, and Southampton, sorry, as well. 
between the Leicester game on the 19th of December and the Manchester City game on the 26th of February, that is a favourable enough run for Everton. Especially given they're hoping to have Calvert-Lewin back for that Burnley game, which starts the run in between those two games. There's eight Premier League games there that are all winnable for Everton. And they get hole in the FA Cup as well. If they could put together a mini-run, which is possible with Calvert-Lewin back, I do think they could get themselves back up into the top half. Now, Guy, Guy was laughing at them on, on Twitter at the weekend. And I, I had a look at their squad for the match day. 215 million was spent on this squad. Now, Andros Townsend, Asmir Begovic, and Solomon Rondon were all free transfers. So, 20 man match day squad, three of them free tra- transfers. That leaves 17. Onyango, Sims, Gordon and Kenny all came through the academy. So there's another four players that cost nothing. So we're down to 13 players, 215 million spent. Seamus Coleman, Mason Holgate, Damari Gray and Jared Branthwaite combined cost less than 5 million. Which means, and that's four more. So now we're down to nine players. Richarlison, Andre Gomes, Ducouré, Delph, Godfrey, Michael Keane, Jordan Pickford, Alex Awobi, and Jean-Philippe Gabamon. Everton spent £210 million on those nine players. Now, Gabamon's a decent player. He's just always injured. He has had the worst luck since joining Everton. He's not a bad player. If you're building a long-term squad, you'd like to have a player like him in the squad, if he can keep him fit. Iwobi's a good squad player, but unfortunately for Everton, Everton paid the kind of money that they should only be paying for starters. But you still want him if you're building a squad. Fabian Delft cost about 8 to 10 million. He's got that veteran status. You know, you wouldn't mind his versatility in your squad, so that's fine. Richarlison and Decoure, you, you, you would keep. Godfrey, you definitely keep. But Gomes, Keane and Pickford, that's about as bad a way to spend £75 million as I can imagine. That's appalling. They might as well just lit the money on fire. No club has spent as badly as Everton over the last five, six years. It's abysmal how they spent their money. And in good news for Everton today, uh, a player who wasn't on the bench, but was another very, very expensive waste of a lot of money, uh, Cenk Tusen has come out and said he doesn't want to leave Everton. Of course he doesn't want to leave Everton. No one else is going to pay him the type of money that Everton are are paying him. Cenk Tustin wants to reject a January move and fight for his place at Everton. Out of contract at the end of the season, the Turkey international has been repeatedly linked with a return to his homeland. A number of clubs have shown interest in his services, 
but Tucson believes he's unfinished business in England and his preference is to remain at Goodison until his contract expires. Magnificent. £27 million pounds Everton spent on Cheng Tucson. This is why they what, what they allowed Sam to do. Because Sam bought him, him and Walcott. Walcott left on a free already. I think they might have even cancelled his contract a year early just to get rid. Um, they paid over 20 million for Walcott and 27 million for it's basically 50 million for Theo Walcott and Cenk Tusa. Theo Walcott in his Everton career. Uh, played 85 games and scored 11 goals and was loaned out for an entire season. The last season of his contract. He signed a four-year, a three-and-a-half-year deal. Yeah, played two-and-a-half years. They loaned him out for the last year just to get rid of him. Uh, 11 goals in 85 games. Cenk Tusen. 11 goals in 58 games. And he's been loaned out twice. Magnificent. I cannot imagine how you can spend money this badly. The reason he wants to stay is because he's on about 100 grand a week. No one in Turkey is going to give him that type of money. And He'll also get a, a big signing bonus if he signs for someone as a free a free agent. So while he may not want to be sold in January, you wait and see. He will start getting pre-contract offers from Besiktas or Trabzonspor or whoever. And he will go back to Turkey on a free, get himself a, a hefty signing on bonus, get himself a nice big new contract. And that will be after rinsing all the money that he possibly cut from Everton. And I don't blame him. I don't blame him at all. But the idea of him fighting for his place is, is absolute nonsense. He wants the money. And he should get the money. Everton, if they were smart, would just say to him, look, we owe you two and a half million. Here it is. Go away. Here's your money. Go away. We do not want you at the club anymore. Nothing personal. I'm sure he's a lovely guy. But he is a sign of Everton's abject failure to properly spend money over the past five, six, seven years. Um, and that is the games from the weekend. Oh, Crystal Palace, by the way, uh, up into 12th place, finally riding the ship after a bad run. Good win for Vieira. A good win for the team. And... Uh, yeah, hopefully Palace will start to string a few wins together because the football they've played this season has has deserved more wins. They get Southampton next, then Watford. Two winnable games, then Spurs away, but then Norwich. So three of the next four are very, very winnable games for Palace. If they win those games, look, the only thing that matters for them this year is, is safety, staying up, and they will basically accomplish that. If they win those three games, we'll see them then 
on 26 points, 20, 28 points for the season, you're probably only going to need eight, nine points from the rest of the season. Eight or nine points from 18 games will be easily done. Palace will be fine. And that will be all that matters to them. I'm taking a break. When we come back, Champions League draw has been done, appealed and redone. We'll react to that. Europa League draw, Conference League draw, they're both done as well. We'll get to them. We've got Garth Crooks' team of the week. I haven't seen it. I'm sure it's a beauty. And we've got a few days of gossip to catch up on. So I'll see you in a minute. Right, welcome back. So, the Champions League draw was made earlier today, and there was some controversy. It was very clear that UEFA wanted to fix the draw to get Cristiano versus Messi. That's clear as day. But... They made it a little bit too blatant in what they were doing. They left Manchester United out of one of the pots. And the draw we got at the time was Benfica versus Real Madrid, Villarreal Man City, Atletico Madrid versus Bayern, Salzburg versus Liverpool, Inter Milan versus Ajax, Sporting versus Juventus, Chelsea versus Lille, and Paris Saint-Germain versus United. United fans were up in arms about this, screaming corruption. I can see their point. But United didn't protest. Atletico Madrid protested because they got Bayern. They would have happily taken Manchester United. I actually think PSG is a better draw for United than Atletico would have been. Which is why I don't think United protested. I think they were happy enough. I think Ranić will have looked at it and thought, okay... We have one player who does no work off the ball. They've got three. And potentially one of them will be injured because he always gets injured around that time of the year because it not it his sister's birthday? And he disappears for a fortnight. That was an interesting draw. Benfica versus Real. There's real old school European Cup vibes about that. Villarreal versus City would be a fairly favourable draw for City. Uh, Atleti versus Bayern would have been an interesting contest. Salzburg versus Liverpool was a, a very favourable draw for Liverpool. But I thought Inter versus Ajax was a good draw. I thought Sporting versus Lille was a good draw. Chelsea got a favourable draw against Lille. And PSG United would have been interesting. And Cristiano versus Messi, probably for the last couple of times, again, would have been pretty interesting. But Atleti have protested and the draw has been redone. And what we get is... Salzburg versus Bayern Munich. So Salzburg are going to get absolutely tonked by Bayern Munich. But it does give Bayern the opportunity to have a, an up-close-and-personal look at Kareem Adeyemi and maybe convince him that that's where his future lies. Sporting versus Manchester City. It's a tougher draw for City than Villarreal. Sporting play very well on the counter-attack. They're very, very good defensively. Pedro Porro, on loan from City, is a key part of that sporting team. That's a tougher draw for City. Benfica versus Ajax, I love. Again, old school European Cup vibes about that. So I love that draw. Chelsea get Lille again. 
So that's gone through. Favourable draw for Chelsea. Lille, not particularly good this season. Atleti versus Manchester United. Atleti got the draw they wanted. I don't think United wanted this draw. I really don't think they will fancy two games of Simeone ball. I think that draw favours Atleti. Villarreal versus Juventus. That's a decent one. Juventus are fairly poor this season. Villarreal aren't up to much themselves. But that's fairly decent. Inter Milan versus Liverpool. It's a tougher draw for Liverpool than the initial one. But still one they should comfortably progress through. Inter are certainly not the team they were last season. The loss of Antonio Conte as manager and two of their best players in Hakimi and Lukaku is a big blow. But they are top of Serie A after 17 games. Simone Inzaghi has them playing pretty well. Uh, what are they now? Five, six wins in a row. Five wins in a row domestically. Finished second in their group in the Champions League behind Real Madrid. So, tougher draw for Liverpool, no doubt. And then we get PSG versus Real. PSG will not be happy with this draw. But it might inspire Messi. The sight of Real Madrid might inspire Messi. So that should be a very fun encounter. So I think the second draw has worked out pretty well. I think Benfica, Ajax, Atleti United, Villarreal, Juventus, Inter Liverpool and PSG, Real Madrid, all very competitive. Sporting City, City should win. But it is tougher than the initial draw against Villarreal. Chelsea versus Lille and Salzburg versus Bayern. You would expect it will be quite one-sided. But it is what it is. So that is the Champions League draw. I, I think it's worked out well for a couple of teams having it redone. Uh, it's worked out badly for Manchester United and for PSG. Who would likely prefer to play each other than the teams they got second time around. Uh, those games will be played half on the week of the 15th and 16th, the other half the week of the 22nd, 23rd, and then the second leg half on the week of the 8th and 9th of March. Sorry, that's just the 15th and 16th of February, yeah? And then the 8th and 9th of March with the other four on the 15th and 16th of March. I don't like the way they do that. I'd rather just play four on the 8th, four on the 9th, and not have it stringing out like this, but, you know, TV rights, TV money. Uh, the Europa League draw has also been made, and what we are left with is Sevilla versus Dinamo Zagreb. Um, Sevilla should win that pretty comfortably. These are to be played the 17th and 24th of February, first leg, second leg. This is a, the knockout round playoff, is what it's uh, entitled with the winners going through to the round of 16, where the group winners from this season's Europa League are waiting. Uh, Atalanta will play Olympiacos. You'd imagine that's a fairly favourable one for Atalanta. RB Leipzig versus Real Sociedad is a really, really enticing one. I think those will be two cracking games, but this is the big one. Barcelona versus Napoli. People were saying, wouldn't it be great if Barca got West Ham in the round of 16, I don't think Barcelona are reaching the round of 16. I think Napoli will beat them. 
Uh, Zenit St. Petersburg versus Real Betis. Should be a good one. Borussia Dortmund versus Rangers. That's a really good draw for Borussia Dortmund. Sheriff Tiraspol versus Braga. Can Sheriff continue the, the mythical trip through Europe? And then Porto versus Lazio. And again, I think that's a, a good draw. So I think this is a, a very interesting uh, round in the Europa League. In the Conference League then, we also have a knockout playoff round. So Marseille drew Quarabeg. You'd expect Marseille to come through comfortably. PSV Eindhoven versus Maccabi Tel Aviv. That one will favour PSV. These are also been played on the 17th of 24th. Uh, Fenerbahce versus Slavia Prague. That's a really tough one. That could go either way. As could Mitteland versus PAOK. Leicester versus Randers of Denmark. That's a very favourable draw for Leicester. And if they don't win, I will be on this podcast on the 25th of February calling for Brendan Rodgers to be sacked. Uh, Celtic versus Bodo Glimt. I fancy Celtic to come through that one, I have to say. Um, I do think Celtic should come through that one. Sparta Prague versus Partizan Belgrade should be a decent one. And then Rapid Vienna versus Tottenham or Vietas Arnhem. We don't yet know what the outcome of the Tottenham group is going to be in the conference league. They may not even go through because they may not play that game against Rennes, uh, which would put Vietas through. Rapid Vienna versus Vietas is a, is an interesting one. Should be fairly even. Tottenham should beat Vienna, but I mean they should have beaten Mura and failed to do that. So you just don't know. Those are the draws. Look, I'm not going to have much interest in this Europa Conference League, I have to say. Maybe in the next round, you know, when the group winners come back in and and whatever else, and we see, you know, some decent games. But until then, no. But like I say, I will be keeping an eye on the Leicester one because if they go out, that Rodgers has to go. That's appalling. Uh, and I'll watch the celtic Bodo glimpse one because obviously Celtic. But I think the Europa League draw is good. I think the Champions League draw is good. And uh, and all things considered, I think we're in for some good football in this year's European uh, competition. Bit of news to catch up on. Um, obviously mentioned Calvin Phillips earlier on, but it has come out through his agent that Boubacar Kamara will leave Marseille on a free next summer. And a lot of Premier League clubs seem to have strong interest. He's obviously been linked with Wolves. And um, Wolves and Newcastle in the last couple of years. Allegedly, Manchester United are interesting. Are interested. Bayern Munich are interested. Barcelona allegedly have interest. It'd be an interesting fit at Barca in a long-term midfield with Gavi and Pedri. But you know, we'll wait and see. Um, a very, very good player with big potential. I quite like him at Liverpool, I think, as a backup six, as a fifth centre-back and third choice at either full-back spot. Brilliant utility player to have. But I assume he'll want to go somewhere where he'll start. I think a lot of clubs should be interested in him. I think Arsenal should be right at the top of the queue to try and get him. I think you put him in a midfield two with Thomas Partey. I think that's a pairing that will work. If Partey decides to move on, and you move to midfield three, he can play that six by himself. Uh, very, very good player. Tottenham 
are prepared to let Delhi Ali leave in January, uh, likely on loan. I think there's a couple of Premier League clubs who would do well to knock on the door about him. Um, I, I think he could be an interesting fit at Leicester and how they're playing at the moment uh, instead of Dewsbury Hall, but I don't expect that to happen. I think Brighton could be an interesting fit. Palace would be an interesting fit. But Everton are the team I would look at the most and say, you should do that deal. Delhi off Calvert-Lewin with Richarlison one side and Damari Gray the other and Alain de Coure as the double pivot. That could be something. Now, obviously, it depends on what version of Delhi you get. Because the Delhi of the last couple of years has not been particularly good. But you go back pre the last World Cup and that kid was sensational. And for whatever reason, he's never been able to recapture that form on a consistent basis. Maybe it's a lack of motivation. And maybe getting his backside kicked out of Tottenham can reignite a fire in him. But it is time for Delhi to leave Tottenham Hotspur. He'll probably have some interest abroad. Uh, PSG were interested before. That would make no sense now, given they have Messi, Neymar and Mbappe, none of whom do enough defensive work. And Delhi's not great with the defensive stuff. Um, but I'd like to see him try try his hand abroad. I think there's clubs in Italy he could fit well. Certainly clubs in Spain he could fit well. Uh, move to the Bundesliga could do him the world of good. He'd be fascinating. Him, him off Erling Haaland could be fascinating. Um, and then this story. You've all probably seen the pitch invader at the women's football game. Um, Chelsea against Juventus. Where some idiot runs onto the pitch, holds his phone up, saunters around, acts like a prick. And then Sam Kerr just walks over and throws a shoulder into him, sends him onto the floor, and then he runs away. The stewards don't react. The player gets booked, which is mental. But here's the thing. The Metropolitan Police have confirmed that no arrest has been made. And it's because of a stupid loophole in the law. So... Under Section 4 of the 1991 Football Offences Act, it is an arrestable offence to go on to the playing area of a professional game. However, it only covers men's football. It does not cover women's football. Which is bizarre. According to the Football Offences Designation of Football Matches, Order 2014, a designated match is a game in which one or both of the teams represents a team which is a member of the English Football League, the Premier League, the Football Conference or the League of Wales or represents a country or territory. And unfortunately, women's football does not fall underneath any of those. So. Lawmakers, get your act together and get that sorted, get it sorted quickly, because that is unacceptable. Uh, Guillaume Balaguer, self-promoting spoofer extraordinaire, has said that Sergio Aguero is set to announce his retirement on Wednesday, 
less than six months after joining Barcelona. He was diagnosed, you'll remember, with a heart problem in October. Uh, he experienced chest discomfort on October 30th, was substituted out of a game, and now it appears like Sergio Aguero will have to retire. That is a really, really tough end to one of the great careers. What an outstanding player Sergio Aguero has been for Atletico Madrid, for Manchester City, obviously. Not so much for Barca because he's not gotten to do a whole lot. He was injured. When he got there, there was a whole lot of kerfuffle about his contract. And then he finally gets back on the pitch, and then there is this. So, yeah, it is a shame. It is a shame. You have to feel for him. But he is a great career to look back on. Fourth highest scorer ever in the Premier League. Um, Just an absolute goal machine. An absolute goal machine. 101 goals in 234 games for Atletico. Obviously started out with Independiente. 260 goals for City in 390 games, including 16 hat-tricks. Phenomenal. Nobody in Premier League history has a better minutes per goal record. A goal every 107.9 minutes. Of players who've scored more than 15 goals in Premier League history, Thierry Henry is second, 121.8 minutes. So a full 14 minutes quicker for Aguero. But what a career he can look back on. I mean, he won everything there is to win with City, bar the obvious one, the Champions League which it was unfortunate that they didn't win it last year, but it was on the manager. Pep did did not do his best job in that final, but he won a Europa League and a European Super Cup with Atletico Madrid, five Premier League titles, an FA Cup, and six League Cups with Manchester City. And then obviously with Argentina, he won the Copa America in 2021, World Cup runner-up in 2014. Just a great player, a truly great player, maybe the greatest player in City's history and one who will will be missed from the game. Um, Gareth Crooks' team of the week. David De Gea, no argument from me. Gabriel, well, he scored, so, so of course Gareth is putting him in. Uh, he's picked Van Dyke. Matip was probably better on the day. I I knew he'd pick Rudiger. I knew he'd pick Rudiger. Rudiger is in. I'm not even going to argue with it. The defensive stuff was was bad. Mings is more deserving, despite giving away the penalty. Mings played better than than Rudiger. Uh, midfield Gallagher scored twice, so he's in. Jorginho scored twice, so he's in. Thielemann scored twice, so he's in. Madison deserves to be in. Gallagher deserves to be in. I'm, I'm not having Jorginho. I'm sorry. I'm not having Jorginho. Uh, Salah didn't play all that well, but he's in. Sterling, I didn't think, had a particularly great game. He's in. And Brian and Buomo's in. Again, he scored. Garth doesn't watch the football. Garth looks at the score lines and thinks, oh, he scored. He's played well. That'll do. And puts them in his team. Uh, we'll wrap up then with the gossip because, well, you know, that's what I do on this show. I take other people's content and I steal it as my own. And I have no qualms about admitting that or or doing it repeatedly. 
Real Madrid are monitoring Manchester United situate or Cristiano Ronaldo's situation at Manchester United. Football Insider here with some high caliber nonsense that we can all just ignore. Um, Manchester United interim boss Ralph Ranyak has advised the club to monitor Amadou Hydera, Calvin Phillips, and Jude Bellingham. Well, a blind person could tell you to monitor the last two. The Hydera thing is nonsense. He's not good enough to play in the Premier League at the moment. Chelsea are weighing up a move for Wesley Fafana with Antonio Rudiger and Andreas Christensen yet to sign new deals at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Wesley Fafana should stay where he is for at least one more year. Rudiger is set to become one of football's highest paid defenders if he decides to leave Chelsea. But notice, not if he stays at Chelsea, because they know he's not worth anywhere close to the kind of money that has been rumoured for him. Brighton are moving closer to a deal for Ben Brierton-Diaz. This is from some no mark in the mirror. It's been dismissed by real outlets and real journalists. Uh, Brighton have also held talks over a deal for Polish midfielder Kasper Kozlowski to join them in January. You'd assume he'd get loaned out straight away, probably to their Belgian club. Um, very, very talented by all accounts. I, ha I have no idea. Liverpool are prepared to activate the £42.6 million release clause of Barcelona's 17-year-old Spanish midfielder, Gavi. I would love that to be true. It's from El Nacional. It means it's trash. Newcastle, Barcelona, Arsenal and Paris Saint-Germain have emerged as the frontrunners to sign Anthony Martial. Four clubs cannot be the frontrunners. Only one club can be the frontrunner. That's how that works. Barcelona ball, uh, president Jean Laporta says the club is moving in the right direction and the first team will be strengthened in the January window. This man is a moron and he is not going to fix Barcelona's problems. Simple as that. Simple as that. Because Barca's fans are too entitled and Laporte doesn't have the bottle to stand up for, to them and explain that this needs to be a four to five year plan to get them back to the top. Barcelona have increased their bid for Ferran Torres to 38 million with a further 12.8 million in add-ons. Firstly, they don't have 38 million. Secondly, it's still way below what City uh, have asked for. Uh, the La Liga side have also explored the possibility of signing three Chelsea defenders on Oh, uh, Rudiger Christensen and, and Aspilicueta. Aspilicueta's finished. Don't sign him. Rudiger can't play in the back two. Don't sign him. Christensen will be expensive, but no. Um, breaking news. Manchester United apparently are asking for their Premier League match against Brentford. Set to take place tomorrow to be postponed. Uh, it looks like they've had a COVID outbreak as well. Uh, this is not particularly good, folks. Not particularly good. Uh, Samuel Luckhurst, hit and miss. He's the one reporting it. Um, Barcelona have targeted River Plate and Argentina striker Julian Alvarez. He's got a £21 million buyout. They don't have £21 million. Aaron Ramsey is keen to leave Juventus in January with Everton and Newcastle interest. That would be just, it would be the most Everton thing ever to sign him. Manchester City are interested in Nuno Tavares. I doubt it. I, I greatly doubt it. Arsenal are prepared to offer €80 million, Euro, £68 million pounds for Dusan Vlavic. Garbage. 
The Gunners are willing to sell Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who is growing increasingly frustrated at a lack of playing time. He's a good player. I'd love to see him at Palace. He could be their starting right back or he could start in midfield for them. Tottenham and Netherlands forward Stephen Bergvine is open to leaving in January and joining Ajax. Maybe. Ajax have had long held interest in him. Uh, West Ham, Eden Hazard, nonsense. The Hammers will open new contract talks with Jared Bowen and made interest from Liverpool. I doubt Liverpool's interest is all that strong. Norwich's 21-year-old English right-back Max Ahrens is a January transfer target for Jose Mourinho. Mourinho not, might not make it to January. And Adnan Yanazai is a target for Barcelona. Jesus wept. Um, Newcastle have made contact with Manchester United over a possible deal for Jesse Lingard. That will solve the defensive issues, lads. Manchester United have drawn up a four-man short. This is brilliant. A four-man shortlist in case Edinson Cavani joins Barcelona. Erling Haaland, João Felix, Alexander Isaac, and Timo Werner. So first of all, think of the type of player Cavani is, and then think of his role at United. None of those replicate that. Haaland is not going there. João Felix would be an awful fit there. What's he going to do? Carry Cristiano's water? Timo Werner is... You have Anthony Martial, who you're not using. Isak, it would be a complete waste of him. To use him as a donkey to carry water for Cristiano would be a donkey. And he's coming to start. So is Haaland. So is Felix. Werner's not leaving Chelsea if he's not going somewhere to start. Cavani's a squad player. Have a look around. You'll find someone more suited to your needs. Tottenham have joined Manchester City and Manchester United in closely monitoring Andreas Christensen. I get that he's improved. Settle down. Uh, It could be just his agent telling stories. IX manager Eric Ten Hag has jumped to the top of Manchester United's shortlist as the Premier League club continue to consider options for the summer. I doubt it. I would say it's still Pochettino. Uh, Also on the topic of Ten Hag, Pep Guardiola's brother, Pear, who's his agent, has now moved to the company who currently represent Ten Hag, and City fans have decided that means Ten Hag is going there. He may well go there. He's the most natural fit to replace Pep, but, you know, wait and see. Liverpool have made Rodrigo of Real Madrid one of their main targets. Uh, I'd like it, but I doubt it, and the price would be too much. Everton plans in the January transfer window may change following Anthony Martial saying he wants to leave. I don't think he wants to leave for Everton. Leicester are unlikely to have funds to strengthen their squad next summer, to Brendan Rodgers, because you were given all the money in the summer and they didn't sell anybody. Southampton will assess injuries to Armando Broja and Adam Armstrong before deciding if they need to sign another striker. They need one anyway, but they need an attacker, not necessarily a striker. But if those two are out for a while, that's really bad news. Uh, Chelsea and Belgium striker Romelu Lukaku will return to Syria before the end of his career, his agent has said. I reckon he's already fed up with Chelsea, to be honest. Inter Milan have not held contract discussions with Stefan de Vries amid interest from Tottenham and Newcastle. 
Tottenham he would make sense for. He could play in the middle of the back three. He knows Conte, obviously, and he's very, very good. And Romero could slide to the right. That would be fine. Uh, he's not going to Newcastle. Let's be really honest. He's not going to Newcastle. Real Madrid have identified Wilf Ndidi as a replacement for Casemiro. I think Chumeni's probably top of that list, but yeah, Ndidi makes sense. Uh, Juventus are set to listen to offers for Weston McKenney, Arthur and Aaron Ramsdale. They will get offers for McKenney and Arthur. They will not get any offers for Aaron Ramsdale unless it's on a free. Brighton are set to beat Manchester City, Liverpool and AC Milan to the signing of Kasper Kozlowski for $8 million. I think they've had a free run at it, to be honest. I think the other clubs are all interested, but he's not ready for a move to a big club. Uh, Brighton makes sense as a, as a kind of an in-between move for him. Take him, loan him for 18 months to your own club in, in Belgium, bring him back, get him a couple of years of Premier League experience, and you'll sell him for big money if he's good enough. Uh, more Adnan Yanisai to Barcelona. Nonsense. Uh, Anthony Martial and Ferran Torres to Barcelona. More nonsense. Paris Saint-Germain and Argentina Ford. Maro Icardi's wife and agent. His wife is his agent, if I'm not mistaken. Are holding talks. Uh, oh, wife and yeah, same. Yeah, okay. Are holding talks with Juventus over a possible return to Italy. Yeah, I could see that. I could see him doing well at Juventus. Him and Dybala, Chiesa off one side, Kulusevski off the other, Rabio Bentancur, or Locatelli Bentancur, or Rabio Locatelli. Not bad, not bad at all. Uh, you need fullbacks, though. Go and sign a couple of fullbacks. Uh, Spain midfielder Pedri says he's happy at Barcelona. He's got an eight hundred and forty million pound buyout. He's going absolutely nowhere. Shouldn't have signed that contract, kid. Uh, Barcelona are planning moves for Christian Pulisic. They're not. Maybe for Rudiger. Maybe for Aspilicueta on freeze. They're not planning a move for Pulisic unless he's available on loan. Leeds remain keen on a deal for Ben D- Ben Brayton Diaz, uh, despite Blackburn putting a twenty five million price tag on him. I wouldn't pay it. West Ham are targeting Nat Phillips as a replacement for Angelo Agbona. I doubt it. Liverpool are demanding ten million. No, they're not demanding fifteen million. Bayern Munich uh, winger Kingsley Coleman is stalling on a new contract. Yeah, I think he wants out of Barca. I don't think he wants to be the third winger. Like, Gnabry and Sané are the two best wingers there. He gets a lot of games, and at times he has been first choice. Um, but I still think the other two are better than him, and I could see why he'd want to move on. Barca or Bayern could sign Usman Dembele as an alternative. It would make sense. Real Madrid have no plans to sell Rodrigo, so says the spoofer Fabrizio Romano. Um, Tottenham have opened talks. With Hugo Lloris about a new contract. Why? Why? Let him leave. Sign a young goalkeeper who can be your keeper for the years moving forward. Not someone who's passed the best and on the decline. Liverpool and Belgium striker Divock Origi is a target for AC Milan. Okay. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain and Lyon are considering a move for Anthony Martial. Lyon cannot afford to buy Anthony Martial. PSG, I mean, if if Mbappe is going to leave, I suppose it makes sense. Lyon are also keen on signing Arnaud Danjuma, uh, while Barcelona, Barcelona, I want everybody. Uh, Manchester United are also believed to be monitoring pro- his progress. Manchester United do not need to sign a winger. If anyone at Manchester United says we should sign a winger, they should be fired. Lyon cannot afford to sign Arnaud Danjuma. 
Um, Chelsea are close to agreeing new deals for Andreas Christensen and Thiago Silva. I've been hearing this for months. This would be brilliant. Newcastle will turn their attention to Bournemouth's English defender, Steve Cook. Steve Cook was awful in the Premier League for six years. Awful. Championship player at best. Five years, maybe. Whatever length of time Bournemouth were in the Premier League for, he was bad. Championship player at best. The best part of this story is after they've been priced out of a move for Burnley centre-back James Tarkovsky. Aren't they the richest club in the world? Aren't they? Everton, Leicester and Newcastle want Pontus Janssen, whose contract at Brentford runs out in the summer. Uh, could see him going to Newcastle, solid defender for their season in the Championship. Brentford are in talks with Gremio to sign Brazilian right-back Vanderson in a £9.5 million January deal. They do need a right-back. Canos has done a decent job there, but he's not a right-wing-back. And uh, I don't know much about Vanderson. I have to say he's 20 years of age, playing for Gremio. He's played about 50 games or so. Uh, don't know a whole lot about him, being honest. Um, Manchester United and Portugal fullback Diogo Delos was a target for Roma and former boss Jose Mourinho, but his recent appearances under Ralph Ranić make a transfer unlikely, meaning the Serie A club are looking at alternatives, including Max Ahrens and Benjamin Henricks of RB Leipzig. Uh, our Ahrens would be a better fit. Henricks has never really developed after leaving Leverkusen. His career kind of got stuck in the mud. He's a good player, though. Um, Arsenal and France defender William Saliba said he was per- he would prefer not to speak about his future. Um, if Arsenal let him go on a permanent deal, somebody should be sacked. Arsenal are struggling to keep young English striker Kayon Edwards, 18, who has scored 14 goals already this season, just six months left in his contract. Chelsea, Leeds, Southampton, Brighton and Newcastle all monitoring developments. Uh, it will be very Leeds to sign him up. That's what they've done the last few years. Southampton are making more of a move to do this as well. And obviously Brighton are always sniffing around for a bargain. Um, Arsenal have an incredible pipeline of youth players. Uh, we've seen Eddie and Ketia. We've seen Balogun. And now this kid all come through in the last few years. All score for fun at under 18 level. All look absolutely outstanding. And yes, they can never seem to keep hold of them. And Ketia will likely leave in January or the summer. Balogun is rumoured to be unhappy. And uh, and this kid obviously running down his contract. So not great. Not great for the future of Arsenal Football Club. But as for the future of this podcast, it will continue tomorrow. I am done for the day. Take care of yourselves. I will speak to you all tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.